Good morning. How are you? You guys seem lively. I like that, Chad. You warmed everybody up. This is great. I, I don't think I've ever done announcements with you before, Chad. Um, let me know if you need my help. I can always say yeah and good. Let's pray and we'll get started. God, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the journey of David uh, it, it throughout uh First and Second Samuel, Kings and Chronicles, God, we thank you uh, for the wisdom that he had left for us to follow, God, and we thank you uh, for the writings in the Psalms of the heart of David, and we, God, ultimately thank you that we can look at this great leader in the Bible, but as a very human person, as someone we can relate to, but someone who uh, had something we, I think is very special, which was his love and his obedience to you, God, in good times and bad times. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you're first time joining us, uh, we're in the tail end of a series on King David, who is uh, probably one of the most prominent people in Scripture. Uh, there's a lot written about David. Uh, there's a lot that we can read about who he was as a person, his journey. What I love about the story of David is we actually get to see who he was as a person. Sometimes when you read about a character, you will hear the highlights, but never the lowlights. And I think with David, we get to see this journey that he is on that is very relatable to us. And we've been able to do that throughout the series. If you have not heard any of these messages, you do not have to be concerned that you'll be left behind. Uh, I'll catch you up briefly, but then we'll jump right into what we can learn from this part of his journey. Now, for the last two messages, we've been in a very difficult part of David's life, and then this one as well. We're going to see we're going to see a whole different moment of his life. Uh, this is the most difficult time of David's whole journey. This is where he really has to lean on God more than he ever has. This is where you will see David grieve. This is where you will see David reap the reward, really the fruit of his, ultimately his sin. And we will see David have to re-embrace what he's known this whole journey, which is God is in control and he needs to relinquish that continually to God. And so um, in this series, we're going to look at it. And the one thing throughout this series is that separates David from almost any character in the Bible, obviously outside of Christ, is that he lived a life of obedience. He was obedient to God. And when God said, David, do this, David did it. Now, there are times when David didn't do what God had commanded us to do in the early writings in the Torah. But David, when he was confronted with his sin, David did what was right. But the, he is paying now in this story the consequence of his sin. And it's going to unfold in a very difficult way here for him. Um, <clears throat> I always want to read this passage. It was written about David a thousand years, preached by Paul. And letting people know the one thing that uh, should be remembered about David. And when he's preaching this message in Acts 13, 22, he says this. When God removed Saul, essentially, he raised up David uh, to be their king, Israel. Of whom he testified and said, I found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And then this is always the key part of this verse, who will do all my will. 
that's what separates David. This, this is what makes him inspiring to me, I think, personally, is that I'm not always obedient to God. I'm not. There are times when God is speaking something to me, and I'm like, I can't do that, God. I don't know if you've ever been in that place before. Don't raise your hands, but I'm assuming that everybody here has done it except for Rob Frontier, the nicest guy, I mean, ever. And I'm pretty sure he says yes to everything. But I think that it's difficult always to say yes when God is calling you to do something. We can all relate to this very well. But what he did that was exceptional is he ended up saying yes more than he said no to God. He was obedient to God. Today, we're going to look and learn. We're going to look at like how when you're going through a difficult time, which David's going to go through, we're going to look at these little moments of hope that David has. This little bit of light in darkness that he's going to have in the darkest moments and the greatest despair of his life, yet God is still there. Even though David, and I'll just straight up tell you this, David brought this on himself. But God is still there. I don't know if you can relate to this, but there are things that we've done in our life that we reap the fruit and we wished we wouldn't have done them. There are ways we've acted. There are attitudes that we've had. There are things that we've done. We can all relate to this. And then when the fruit of the, the, the disobedience or the, the, the action that we took is so negative, and we might even go, God, why? And God's like, how could you even ask that? Look what you've brought. But even in the midst of that, God is still a John 3.16 God. He came even before you even repented. Even before you cleaned your act up and you sat right here in these chairs and said, wow, look how far I've come. He came before that. And this is the same God who is here with David. Even though David is going through a hard time of which he brought upon himself. But God will never leave him or forsake him. And so if you're here today and you are someone going through a difficult time. If you're someone who is experiencing, and you could say, yes, that word describes me, if it's despair or discouragement, frustration, uh, and, and, and teetering on the, the fence of hopelessness, I, I really hope that this message encourages you, that you are not alone, that God, God will never leave you or forsake you, even if you brought it upon yourself he will never leave you or forsake you. Or even if it wasn't your doing and it's happening to you, and an injustice it feels like, he will never leave you or forsake you. So I titled this message, Glimmers of Hope. That's kind of how I feel like God is a little bit in our journey sometimes. Where, where you're going through a hard time, you're going through difficulty, but then there's these little glimmers of hope where you see God's light shining up, and they just get you through to the next step. Has anybody ever experienced this? Right? It's like, I'm in complete darkness, it feels, but then there's a little bit of hope, and then I go a little further. God seems to do this by leading us down a path. The whole way I would love you to think about this message, if you could, to remember, is that when despair comes, the best thing we're going to learn from David is that to trust in God's character. His character... Is flawless. It does not change. He's the same today and forever. So when we are in the greatest despair and we wonder, where are you, God? 
trust in his character. I, uh, I always call my mom every day, every Sunday on the way to church, and I ask her how she's doing and, you know, how her Sunday's going. And I asked her today, because my, my mom, sorry, mom, she's listening to this right now live, and, um, but I wanted to know, because as I'm going through the story of David, I thought of somebody I know who's gone through uh, ups and downs in life, but in someone in my life who I've watched always hold her head up high. And I asked her, I said, when you experience despair or discouragement, what do you do? And she said, I never ask God, why did you do this to me? And I was like, that's interesting. I don't even know that I need to ask that. And this is my mom's philosophy. It doesn't have to be yours. But she said, what I do is I do think about what Jesus has done. And even in the midst of the difficulty, who he is, and that he actually, even out of everybody else in the world, I do see him as he died for just me personally, and that encourages me that I was worth that. And I told my mom, I said, oh, you know what you're doing is you're, you're practicing the scripture, which is to encourage yourself in the Lord when you're discouraged. Paul would tell Timothy, fan that flame when you're feeling discouraged. And I thought that was a really good practical thing for me to hear from her as someone who's been an example who can lift their head high. And I think for us in the same way, David, he's relying on who God is more than who David is himself. Listen to this scripture. If you have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen as well. 2 Corinthians 4.8, it says, we are afflicted in every way. I, when I think about it every way, I, I think it is pretty... Affliction is versatile. It can come through a difficulty in a relationship. It can come through difficulty financially. It can come through outside circumstances. Affliction can come in multiple ways through persecution. You name it. But is the most important part. But you're not crushed. This is what the hope that we have in us. And I believe David had as well. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, uh, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but you're not destroyed. Who can relate to this verse? Who can relate to this verse? Don't be shy. I mean, this is, this is for real. This is what you go through in life. But these butts in here are the most important butts you will ever see. I'm sorry to say it that way, but it is. You need to remember those. They're important. You know, and if I think about it, if you've ever been knocked down or you've ever been gut punched or you've ever been taken out or you just feel like you were soaring but now you're grounded, those butts will be very important for you to remember. That although it seems like it's the end, it's not. Because God has written the story. He knows. He's in control, even though it feels like life is out of control. And I think David, well, as he's going to experience this very difficult part, we're going to learn a few things from his journey here. I, I, I started writing this as a one message, and I, I was like, I can't. I can't do this part of the story justice. So I'm just going to extend the series. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're just going to keep going. I, I, I just feel like I can't do it. The, the, there's four things we can learn from this part of David's journey. But I'm going to cover two of them today. These are big revelations about hope 
when everything seems like it's falling apart, when things are not going well and discouragement begins to set in. And the first thing that we'll learn from the David's part of the story is what we may have experienced in our life is what I would call the crushing blow. The moment when you feel like you've lost your wind and you're no longer soaring. The moment when you realize maybe dark days are ahead or discouragement can set in. And I think we've all experienced crushing defeat when, when hope begins to fade. And, and, and all of us could relate and tell each other our stories. And the great thing about Christian community and why we value it so much is because that's how we encourage each other. Just today on the phone with my mom, I said, I have to let you know, I appreciate that you've held your head up high and how difficult that has been for you in hard times. And I just want to let you know you are a great woman of faith. Now, my mom needed to hear that, and she told me she needed to hear it. But that's what we can do for each other when we recognize a struggle in someone and encourage them, but also sharing your story with other people in this church. I literally could stop the sermon and have you talk to the person next to you, and your faith will grow. It's true. But, you know, this is my job, so I'm going to just finish the sermon. But, but at the end of the day, I could, I could literally let every one of you talk, tell your story of a, dis, of a moment of despair and the glimmers of hope that you found, and someone will, their faith will grow in who God is and his character. We're all in this in a lot of ways, and we've all experienced the crushing blow. So let's get into the story. And this is going to take place in 2 Samuel chapter 15, picking up ultimately in verse 13. Now remember, Absalom is David's son. His son, who's going to be the heir now to the throne, this would be, if David chose, and the son who's got all of the goods. He's good looking, the Bible says. He's got long and flowing hair. And, and, and it's mentioned in the Bible for a few reasons. We'll find out later next week. But part of the reason why is he's, uh, it's his uh, vitality. He's young. He's good looking. He's strong. He's a leader. He's good at what he does. And he is beginning to take the ears of Israel away from his father. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up as a, as a boy... I couldn't wait to be stronger than my dad. Was anybody like that? Ooh, I couldn't wait. I, I remember that my dad always played Mercy. Have you, have you ever heard of Mercy where you lock fingers and then eventually somebody will submit? My grandfather submitted me many times. And then my dad would always, and my dad was a very strong guy. But I remember when I was, I think it was my late 20s, I remember when I was, I could beat my dad and he, and he was like, okay, 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 okay. And I was like, oh. I've arrived, I've arrived, and I never looked at him the same either. Um, Absalom doesn't have this. He, Absalom wants power. Absalom wants David's throne. Absalom wants David's anointing, of which he didn't get from God. And then ultimately, thankfully, most of us or none of us will have to deal with this. Absalom wants his dad off the planet. This is a tough place for David to, to reconcile. David is in a place where Israel's been at peace for 20 years. 
And I can see David has maybe let himself go a little bit. Maybe he's gotten relaxed. Maybe he's gotten a little self-indulgent over the years. I don't really know. But I can see it in David's heart that he doesn't have this fight in him like he, he, he once had. 2 Samuel 15, 13, here we go. And, and it is this, is that, picks up right here. The messenger came to David to tell David like, hey, Absalom, everybody likes him. He went down and anointed himself king. And um, by the way, everyone is joining him. You, you're out essentially to Israel. And this is a guy who gave everything he had to Israel. This is a guy who sacrificed everything he had to do what he was called to do. And now it's going to be taken away by his own son. It says, the messenger came to David saying this, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not just talking about men here. This is when it's saying here is the men of Israel were the army, the military of Israel. And David knew in that moment, if the military is on Absalom's side, I, it, I, have, I have no power here in his mind. Right? And so Absalom has taken this military force that David had established, and now he has them. And so this crushing blow comes in of this military that David led and trained and established, and he himself fought with is now following to remove him. David said to all of his servants who were with him in Jerusalem, Arise and let's flee, or else there will be no escape from us uh, from Absalom. This doesn't sound like the David we've been studying, does it? Something's different here. I think David was dealt a crushing blow. He couldn't prepare the city for the raid. It'd take months to do that. Absalom is on his way and he's not far away. And the end is here for David. And he says, quickly, let's, let's, uh, lest he overtake us and quickly bring us down to ruin and strike the city with the edge of the sword. When I was reading this, I was so discouraged because I was like, man, like, this is the guy who's the giant killer. David led nine military wars and defeated them all. David defeated two military powerhouses of that day, outnumbered, outgunned. And I'm reading this going, here he is now, and he's just gone. I, I don't know what's happening. The Bible doesn't give us exactly what's happening with David, but we can see that he's been dealt a crushed, a crushing blow in his life. And I think at the end of the day, he's experienced over this long period of time heartache, heartbreak, murdering of his, one of his sons, loss of another, and now a son who wants to take over his kingdom. And everyone in the kingdom is going out with David, in with Absalom. It's hard to kind of see him from who he was to where he is now, but it lets us into something very interesting about what comes out of David. Now, I was, I was uh, always a fan of this guy and he, his leadership within companies and um, kind of the uh, advice he would give in leadership as far as like um, how to lead people decisively. And it's a guy named Jocko Willink and he was an ex-Navy SEAL for a lot of years, led the Navy SEALs through a lot of combat missions. He says this, in, in a business context especially, most of us aren't defeated in one deci decisive battle. We are defeated one 
uh, tiny, seemingly insignificant surrender at a time that chips away at who we should really be. And I, I think we can see this playing out here with David. It, it, it's a little battle after a little battle, one insignificant thing, and we can all relate to that statement. Sometimes it's not the, 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 the swift loss, it's the slow loss, and then we will feel defeated. If you're in that place, there's good news for you, is that you are not alone and you are not completely defeated. All of those buts in the Corinthians passage I read, all of those are yours. And so let's pick up the story. It says 2 Samuel 15, 17, and it says the king went out and all the people went after him and they halted at the last house. Good to remember, 18. And, out, and all the servants passed by him and all the uh, uh, Cherethites and all the uh, Pelethites and, all, and 600 of the Gittites and who had followed him from Gath passed before David and David stops at the last house. How fascinating. It's hard, it's hard for him to leave. And I, I totally can relate to this is as you're getting ready to leave everything that you've established, your life, your home, your comfort and everything. David is essentially in this moment looking in the rearview mirror and he is going, this is really happening. I'm going to go into exile. And, and it's, it's a hard moment because he stops and he has everybody go before him. And he is the last to go. I feel for the guy. But let's take a look at what David has going on in David's mind. Uh, Psalm 3 was written about this journey that David's going on. So it, and it tracks exactly with the story. So Psalms uh, 3 verse 10, it says, Lord, how many are my foes? Many, look at all the many's. Many are rising up against me and many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. This is where he's at. Nobody likes me. Nobody wants me. I'm worthless. It's a tough place. We can all relate. But I love what Martin Luther King Jr. said. He said, we must accept finite disappointment, yes. But we must never lose infinite hope. God is, always has infinite hope for you. And in, 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 the, in the most darkest places, when we're looking in the rearview mirror and we're going, that's what was in my new life is scary in disappointment. There is always, always hope. And we must not lose that. So I would say this week in your hardships, as you're facing a new norm or if you're in a new norm, where an old life in the rearview mirror maybe has, is gone, and because of disappointment, despair, hardship, loss, I don't know. But there's a new norm ahead of you. And, and it, it's hard to look at it with hope, but I just promise you, it's littered, littered with hope. And when we put the rearview mirror away this week and we go, you know what, I'm, I'm not looking back anymore. I'm not going to look back. I'm not going to hang on. I'm not going to hang on to those offenses. I'm not going to be angry anymore. I'm not going to be someone who just looks back at the old days. And I think that that was then and now this is the life I live now. And I'm miserable. I'm going to put that all away because there's still a future and there's still a hope. And what God has for me ahead is now. It's hard. 
It's hard not to look back in the rearview mirror. It's hard what David's doing right now. It's hard. But what's ahead of David is actually better than what he's leaving behind. So I think what happens is you get the crushing blow, right? This is the first revelation we can get from this story. It's a gut punch. It's, it's discouraging. But in the middle of that, we have that promise from Corinthians. And then what happens next is we don't think about it this way. We think about David in exile. But this is exactly what happens when we go through a very difficult moment, a very difficult time, or a crushing blow, is we instantly then will enter the wilderness. And I don't know if you can relate to the wilderness journey, but in some, in some way you don't know where you're going, you're wandering around, and you feel lost. That's the wilderness. And in the wilderness, you don't have a home, you're not established of the heart and, and of your comfort. And you're just going from day to day trying to make it. That's the wilderness. If you've ever been there, you have been in a wilderness. But I would say this, that despair will, it does propel the wilderness always. The moment you enter into despair, you are now entering into the wilderness. And it doesn't mean that the wilderness is always a bad place. There's a lot to learn in the wilderness but also that God will not leave you in the wilderness by yourself as he's proven over and over. And, but, but you're not lost. You're not forgotten by God. You're just in the wilderness after you've experienced this great and crushing blow. And listen, have you ever seen Rocky um, Three? One of my favorite movies of all time. Um, be, because it, it, that's about the level of movie that I'm, you know... <laughs> <laughs> uh, like intellectually and so like I love Rocky 3 and it's hard because when you're watching Sylvester Stallone Rocky get defeated by Mr. T one of my all-time favorite uh, movie characters uh, it, it, it's hard to watch him try to find his way around it's hard to watch that you're like you don't know how to jump rope anymore Rocky what happened to you if you've ever seen the movie how do you not know how to jump rope anymore uh, it, it, you don't know how to box you've lost everything that you have his his family feels like it's falling apart he's losing everything but he's in the wilderness he's in a difficult place I always feel like Apollo Creed in that movie is like how God is in our life he is just there going listen you got to just you got to get up you got to do it Here's a little bit more for you. I've got more for you. It's hard. But I believe that God is always, always, always going to be there. You're not forgotten, even though you feel forgotten. And so David is on his way. They're leaving the city. And the first, there's three things here just really quick to learn about wilderness. We're going to learn from this story. It's one is you got to place yourself in God's hands when you're in the wilderness. After a crushing blow, you're going to have to put yourself in God's hands. That's all you got. And this is all David has. And as they're leaving, and this is how you know David does it. As they're, he's leaving, the priests come out and they bring the ark of God, the cup, ark, you know, and they bring it out. And they're like, David, we're going to take this with us. Because the ark represented a lot of things in, in especially Hebrew tradition. The ark meant that the ark would remain with the one, the king. The ark was the power of God. The ark was the most powerful thing Israel had. And they're bringing it out to David. And listen to his response. And you got to remember this. The ark 
would destroy entire armies when they brought it to war. When an enemy captured the ark, it, it put the entire nation in, in like chaos. And they had to return it and then say, we're sorry, and send gifts. The ark to them had a long history of the very presence and power of God. And they're going, David, let's bring this with us because we cannot let Absalom have the ark. And David says this. In 2 Samuel 15, 25, carry the ark back to the city. And if I find favor in the, uh, in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and its dwelling place. But if he, God, uh, says, I have no pleasure with you, behold, I am, uh, let him do what he seems is good to him. Basically, leave the nuclear weapons at home. I'm going to have to just trust God. And this is where you see that he places himself completely in God's hands. The plans of all of his people are saying, David, let's get decisive about all of this. And David's going, I'm going to just have to trust God. He's got this. And that's one of the first things you will experience when you enter into the wilderness is that you will need to place yourself in God's hands. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. It feels a little scary. But what David does is a good example for us. Is that even if you want to take control, sometimes you have to just give the control. This is very difficult for us to do. The second thing from this journey as David's leaving the city and he's entering into the wilderness is we have to be reminded to look for God's provisions because they're all around us. I think that's what my mom was saying this morning on the phone is that when she just remember, she was telling me, I remember what Christ has done in my life. I remember all the little things and she's looking for his provision. And she said, when I think about how good God is to me, it opens my eyes to see what he's doing in front of me. And I was like, ooh, that's, that's wisdom. But you have to look for his provisions. You place your trust in his hands and then you're going to look for his provisions as you enter into a wilderness season. The first thing that happens, we'll miss it in the story if, if you don't know the context uh, uh, of this certain person. But there is a guy that comes with David as he's marching out, the Gittite, the guy from Gath. Now remember Gath. Gath is where the Philistines are. And remember Gath. Gath is where Goliath is from. And where the line of all the giants are from. And this great enemy of Israel who wanted to destroy and wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Remember Gath, the, the, the nation that wants to destroy David himself. And here we go. Here's a guy out of Gath who's a political, uh, seeking political asylum from the Philistines. And him and 600 people come and David gives him asylum. He arrived yesterday. And this guy becomes one of the most important figures for David to go back to Israel or back to Jerusalem and retake the throne. But here we go. David sees him and says, listen, um, just go be with Absalom, the king. And David's even acknowledging that if this is the king, go be with him. You just got here. I'm on my own. We're just going to go out. I, I can't promise you anything. And listen to what this guy says. This guy, who's not even loyal to David, he says, as the Lord lives, as 
my Lord the King lives, wherever my Lord the King shall be, whether from death or life, there also your servant shall be. Man, think, think of the people that God's brought around you in your life when you're entering into the wilderness that you didn't know. And you maybe didn't even know they were for you. But God brought them along as that glimmer of hope in your life. This is someone who shouldn't back David. But this is someone who's going to stand by David. He ultimately makes the list of the 30 greatest men of valor in Israel at the very end of the book. He becomes one of his top generals, one of his top three. And here's a guy David met yesterday. You don't know what God's bringing your way. You might have met someone here at church today that you have no idea God brought them in a hard season in your life. I don't know how long they'll be there. But God is constantly doing these types of things in our life. Who has ever experienced this? I just kind of know I'm not crazy. Raise your hand if you've experienced God has brought someone in your life, and it was unexpected. And next thing you know, they helped you in the season of the wilderness. This is exactly how he is. Look, you have to look for his provisions. David missed it at first, but this guy made sure he knew. The journey from the Mount of Olives, they went up to the Mount of Olives, which is right the hill right next to the city. I have a picture of it up here of modern day. If you can throw that up. This, this is not at the summit yet, but it's looking out over the city. And David and his followers are all going up this hill. And this is a hard march. At the top of the summit is where they worshipped God. And there was altars built up there to God. And he was on his way up there to ultimately go and worship and say, God, I trust you. And as they left, they're leaving. They're coming this way. But Absalom is also coming this way from the other side of the city. So they're on their way out. Absalom's on his way in, and he'll be there in days. And as they're walking out, I can imagine they look back and they go, we're leaving everything, and we're going to where we do not know. And David has no idea where he's going. He's just going. But that's how it feels when you're in the wilderness. And David hears about one of his great advisors uh, who gave David a lot of great advice over the years, was his top counsel. And he hears about this top counsel joining Absalom. And it's kind of retribution because, like I said last week, this is Bathsheba's grandfather. So he's just like, I'll be happy to see David come to ruin for what he did to my son-in-law and Bathsheba. And he's really broken up about it because this guy has left him. And he knows how wise this council is. And this council knows all the secrets of David, what he would do militarily. He knows everything about David. He knows him well, better than Absalom, his son. And this is what he says. He ultimately says this. David makes this prayer at the top of that mountain. And he says, oh, Lord, please turn the council of uh, Epithethal. Whoa, whoa. At, sorry. Oh, wow, Epithel, into foolishness. I knew I was going to botch that. And, and, and this is his simple prayer. God, I'm in trouble. This guy probably knows where I'm going, what I'm doing. And uh, at the end of the day, if he helps Absalom, I might be in ruin. God, I need you here. But then at the top of the mountain, he meets his other top advisor who comes out to meet him. David doesn't summon him. He comes. God sends him, I believe. And then his name is Hushai, and he says to David, he says, what can I do? Can I come with you? And he's like, no, 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 no. 
if anything, go into the city and just let me know what happens. But at that moment, something big happened. David prayed to God to confuse the council and turn it into foolishness so David can live a little longer. And God sends him an 80-year-old man who is a wise counselor, and David sends him to Jerusalem just to keep him informed. But what God does in the midst of this is he answers a prayer, sends him a guy, and David could never have expected what would happen. But he meets him at the summit, and he says, go advise him. And then he goes, and he does exactly what, what uh, David hoped he would do and even more. And the thing is, is like you might be praying for something, and God will send you what you didn't expect. And I don't think David expected this. But it was exactly what God wanted to have done and needed to do. And so don't stop praying. Don't stop asking God. It may not show up like you thought, but God has something in the works. The next step of the journey, he goes over the top of the Mount of Olives. And then at the next step of the journey, he is met by somebody you would never think would ever come and bring provision. So God brought provision through that wise counselor at the top of the mountain. God brought provision through this person here. His name is Ziba. He's from the house of Saul. And the people of Saul, the household of Saul, don't really like David because he has taken Saul's position. They never really like David. They don't like him still even after this. But he brings David something. David was shocked and even had to ask, why have you done this? He didn't bring an assault. He didn't bring uh, pain upon David. He brought gifts, not hostility. Second Corinthians, or Second Samuel 16, uh, 2. It says, the king said to Ziba, why have you brought all these things? And he'll tell you what he brought. He answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride. The bread and the summer fruit are for the young men to eat. And the wine is for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Now, I'm not saying that when you're in the wilderness, you know, maybe to stock up on some wine, you know. But what I'm saying is this guy who David would never have expected came and then that actually set him up for the second part of the story, that nourishment, that refreshment. The whole time, David must be wondering, what are you doing, God? I'm in the wilderness. But David does know that God would never leave him or forsake him. And you never know when you're in those hard times what God will do and what he will bring you in the wilderness. We have to be looking for it. David's shocked, obviously, by it. But this is what he writes in that Psalms 3.3 about the situation. He says, but the Lord, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I have cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill, meaning this. I said, God, I need help. And he sends these two people who David wasn't expecting. And God brought provision. And he will never leave you. And he will never forsake you. And he will always continue to lead you down the path if you are looking. And he will always provide. You just keep your eyes open. Don't give up. This last part of the message is this. is Man, this is probably the hardest part. Is uh, You got to ignore the stone throwing. It's hard when you make a mistake and if it's known or if you fail or it's known or you had high hopes and they got crushed or a family member is like, see, I always, I kind of told you you couldn't do it. 
or I, I, I kind of said that about you. It's hard when you fail and then the stone throwers come out and they start lobbying the insults or they start reminding you how right they were and how wrong you were or they bring out your failure in front of you or your sins in front of you. It's hard. And David is going to experience this too, you know. But you're going to know that the stones are going to be thrown. I think sadly, in my, in my opinion, is that a lot of times it's not even just other people throwing the stones at your failure and at your defeat. It, it, it will usually will be our own worst stone throwers. Do you know what I mean? Anybody relate to this? I, when I was growing up, I learned really early that if I thought I would be made fun of for something, I would be the one to first make fun of myself. Does anybody ever do that before, right? You, you're the one making the joke, and you're the one you know, finishing the punchline, and then people kind of back off. But in a way, sometimes you can develop a habit of actually just putting yourself down, and, and when you fail, you want to make sure that it doesn't hurt so bad because it's so hard when people are throwing stones at you. It's better just to beat yourself up. And so... I don't think David is doing this, but I think we can do this in our own life. But also we have people who will post something or say something or make a comment to hear. Or you found out they gossiped about you and they, and they were putting you down. Or you walk in and they ignore you. Like there are stone throwers in life in your despair. But don't be discouraged. You're going to have to have thrown stone at you, but surely do not throw them at yourself. You, you know, that, that's, that, that's the, a very bad, unhelp, unhelpful habit in, in our life that we'll do. But along the way, in this final leg of the journey, uh, a guy comes out who's also from the household of Saul. And he, along the march, starts throwing stones at David. Physical stones. And he is throwing them at him, and he doesn't, you know, he, he also knows that, you know, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt me. That, that, that's not the case. He knows that he's also going to throw some words at David, and this is what he says to him. 2 Samuel 16, 7. And uh, uh, Shemi said that, uh, has said, or sorry, said as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. And it goes on, and it goes on, and he's walking, and it goes on, and he's just continually throwing stones and saying vile things to David. There are moments when you're going to experience difficulty, and there are people who are going to throw some hard stones. But hold your head up high, and at the end of the day, David's attitude in this is, is flawless, and I think it's perfect. One of the men of valor says to David, he's like, hey, why don't I go up there and just decapitate that guy? <laughs> I love it. And uh, he's like, I've had enough of this. And uh, he's, David's response is this in 2 Samuel 6, uh, 12. He says, uh, it may be that the Lord will look on this wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. How many of you have that attitude when someone's uh, saying something bad about you? But I love the perspective. I love the attitude from the ark to the provision to the stone throwing. David's heart is humbled. And, and it's hard when we're going through the desert to do that. Matthew 5, uh, 3, 8, Jesus said it. And these are the, probably the, some of the hardest words in scripture. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's what his guard wanted to do. He's like, let's just. 
In verse 39, he says, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. There's a lot to that statement. It doesn't mean just let people run you over. It means a deeper meaning. He says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. What this means, what Jesus is saying is, don't, don't retaliate. Because retaliation just spawns more of the same. We're going to have to just trust God. And God is the judge. And God will take care of it. And God will bless, on the other end of this, my attitude. And he will provide. Let God handle it. So I don't mean be a doormat. What Jesus is saying is don't retaliate. It will just create more conflict. Haven't we kind of seen that? When, we, when, when people start retaliating at each other, it just grows and grows and grows, and pretty soon it becomes a full-on conflict, and then a lot of horrendous things happen. So Jesus is saying, listen, hunker down, stay the path, trust God. People are going to throw stones, right? But here's the journey that they're traveled. You can throw this map up. It's, it's, a, it's part of the journey. That it's not done yet, but they went from Jerusalem, and they went to Gilgal, and they camped out at the Jordan. And um, it's a 20-mile journey. They're tired, but they had that food and provision along the way. They didn't have the ark with them. And, um, and here they are getting harassed the whole way. But finally, when they get there, these last passages, 2 Samuel 16, 14, and the king and all of the people were with him, uh, arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. I don't know when your wilderness will end. I don't know. We all go through them. Some are long. Some are not. I don't know uh, how they end exactly. Um, But I know that God has never left you. And I know that God does not leave David. And I know there are moments when you may be able to find rest. And ultimately that's what we would seek is peace and rest from God. And he will bring it. To you. Listen to David's mind when he writes about this in Psalms 3 5. I lay down and I sleep and I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Have you ever heard somebody say, like, oh, it's a great day? And they're like, yep, I woke up, I'm alive. And you're like, I guess that's a good baseline. I'm breathing, right? You know, and I think that in a way, I love how he says it. I slept and I woke again. I didn't die. I'm here today to take another breath. And God will still be in control. You know, when I was reading this for me, personally, I, I, I have been through some serious letdowns and struggles. I have been through some wilderness journeys where I didn't choose to put my trust in God's hands and I didn't choose to see the provision all around me and, and, and increase the gratitude. And, 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 and I, I gave in to the stone throwers and I retaliated. And, and those journeys were longer, I will say. Um, but I like what David's journey is because I've had journeys like this where I have walked those steps and it has been peace at the end of it. I don't know your life, I don't know your story, and I don't know your journey. And you may one day enter into a wilderness journey And there are some things that we should remember that David taught us here before God restores David into Israel. It's his character that sustained David. And it's his reliance on God's character that gave him the strength to continue to walk that way. So whenever you are struggling and whenever you are faltering, whenever you may feel like you're in despair, just remember God did not change and he did not leave you. 
There are glimpses of hope all around you. Don't throw your hands up. There are glimpses of hope all around you. But if you've been crushed, if you've been dealt a crushing blow, there's still hope all around. And if you're now wandering in the wilderness, remember these things. Place your trust in God's hands. Pray. And then open your eyes to see his provisions and what he's doing. And then ignore the stones and rest. David's story takes the next step where we'll learn two more things from the next part of the journey. And there's a great battle. There's a great loss. And there's a restoration. And then the week after that, we'll do a conclusion of the whole book of what we can learn from this journey of David. But what I appreciate about this part of the story is this, is that... um, I, I've, I talk to a lot of people in the church, okay? And I, I hear people in the wilderness all the time in this church. So I know I'm not talking to nobody here. And I'm encouraged by this, and I hope you are encouraged by this, of those who I know you're in a wilderness right now. And I know you've been dealt a, a serious blow. But if anything, I want to encourage you through David's stories that God will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Just hang on. I mean, he will surprise you, and at the other end of it, you will be a different person, and you will not be looking in the rearview mirror, and you will be looking forward at the future and the hope that God has for you every time you come out of the wilderness from what you gain from it. So let's pray. God, we love you so much. God, we thank you for your love and your care, even when we may have brought things upon ourselves, like David, even when we feel like we deserve nothing like David maybe did. You are still there. God, you made a covenant with David, but not only that, you made a covenant with us through Christ to never leave, never forsake us. We are your children. You love us. You will always, always, always provide glimmers of hope in dark places. And God, I ask that maybe even like what my mom was giving me the advice about God, that we can encourage ourselves in the Lord. And we can encourage ourselves in who you are, in your character. And God, your love, your mercy, your grace, your faithfulness, your, your provision, and ultimately your sovereignty. That when we're wandering through the wilderness thinking, When is it going to end, God? We find you all along the way. Help us have the strength and the courage in the midst of the stones, in the midst of the discouragement and the journey, God, and in the midst of heartbreak. We love you. We thank you. And help us, one another, to use our story of the desert journey in our life to encourage someone as they're in the midst, God. We want to make ourselves available like those people who came to David and said, I'm here. What do you need? God, help us have the courage, the the, the awareness, the, the, the foresight and sight to come alongside others and help them walk the journey. It's the very best thing we can do is to share in someone's wilderness journey, God, especially when we've come through our own. And all we can thank is you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me and sing this last song?